Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Show of hands, how many of you think that we live in a generally peaceful world? I, I can't see how many hands are up out there because we're not in the same room together, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and, and take a wild guess that no one's hands are up. In fact, it's the opposite. We live in a world that is being torn apart by division, polarization, tribalism, uh, demonization, and violence. And I don't know about you, but does it feel like it's getting worse? The whole fabric of our society is fragmenting and tearing apart. But what if there was something that could heal the wounds? What if there was something that could renew the world, that could reweave the whole fabric of society and create that world of peace that we all long for but none of us has ever experienced? Friends, one of the brightest realities of the gospel is that one day God is going to do exactly that. The main storyline, the great promise of the whole Bible is that one day God is going to restore not just humanity, but the whole world. Total, perfect healing. That means any utopian vision accomplished in human power alone is a false vision and will always lead us deeper into the hostility and the division at work in our world today. We talked about that last week. But here's why this is so important for us today. While we're in the midst of waiting for God to make all things new, our world is in desperate need of people who are able to bridge the division and to begin the work of reweaving the fabric of a society that's tearing apart. And we all feel the weight and the stress and the anxiety and the exhaustion of a world that's tearing apart, don't we? I know I do. And when we do, we have one of two impulses. One of them is to escape the stress, disengage, check out. The other impulse is to align with one of the tribes and devote yourself to taking out the other tribe. But what if the way forward was neither of those ways, but a, but a different way, a third way? 
The Sermon on the Mount is the longest and most famous teaching of Jesus in the Bible. It begins with this passage that we just read, which is called the Beatitudes. The first four Beatitudes are all about our deep, desperate need for God. The second four Beatitudes are all about what would our lives look like if God was meeting that need and transforming our lives. The second four Beatitudes show us. So this morning we're looking at the seventh Beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We long for a world of peace. We don't have any idea to get there. Jesus shows us. How? Well, let's find out this morning by asking three questions. What do peacemakers do? What do peacemakers need? And how do we get it? What do peacemakers do? What do peacemakers need? And how do we get it? All right? First, what do peacemakers do? In order to understand this, we have to understand what does Jesus mean by peace? We talk about this a lot here at Central West End Church. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Shalom means wholeness. Shalom means flourishing in every area of life. Now that's more uh, than just the absence of conflict. You know how you can stop actively fighting with someone, but your relationship with them is still a mess? There's no wholeness. Um, Shalom means wholeness. It means flourishing in every area of life, and not just for us as individuals, but for the whole world. But second, understand what peacemakers do. It it can be helpful to understand what peacemakers do not do. So um, I didn't come up with this language, but being a peacemaker is different from being a peace faker or being a peace breaker. A peace faker is someone who doesn't want to rock the boat. There may be significant issues that need to be addressed, but a peace faker will just sweep it under the rug because it's too hard to deal with. That, that's a fake peace. And you see that happen in families all the time. But it also happens in society. So for instance, during the civil rights movement, a lot of people said to Dr. Martin Luther King, hey, why do you have to always stir things up? Why do you have to be an agitator? You're disturbing the peace. But there was no peace to disturb because it was there was no wholeness. To, to say that we should just keep things the way they are in order to keep the peace, that's being a peace faker because it was accommodating to an unjust society that was built on oppression and segregation. But on the other side, a peace breaker is someone who just wants to go on the attack. Their goal is not real peace. Their goal is to win and dominate the other side. The sad thing is that a lot of times they begin with a worthwhile goal. They see injustice. They see things that are wrong and they want to change it. But instead of trying to win over the other side and work together for wholeness, they devote themselves to just crushing the enemy. It's still not real peace because that's not real wholeness either. And you know what's really interesting is that you see both of these kinds of things um, on Jesus's, among Jesus' disciples. So for instance, Matthew was a tax collector. In the ancient world, Israel was under Roman occupation. They were oppressed. A tax collector, was, that was Jewish people who were colluding with the Roman government in order to collect taxes from their own people. And they were making a hefty profit while they were doing it. They were traitors. They were financial predators. Matthew was a peace faker because he was accommodating an unjust government. But on the other side, another one of Jesus' disciples was a guy named Simon the Zealot. The Zealots was a Jewish resistance group. 
They wanted to take up swords in order to overthrow the Roman government. Viva la Revolution! Simon the Zealot was a peace breaker because he wasn't after real peace. All he wanted to do was crush the enemy. I find it fascinating and deeply instructive that Jesus would take two people who were sworn political enemies, call both of them to be his disciples, and then engage them in a radically counterintuitive project, not of peace-faking, not of peace-breaking, but of peace-making. So what um, what is peacemaking? Well, let me offer you a simple definition. You could wordsmith this, but uh, the essentials are here. Peacemaking is lovingly and perseveringly reaching out to alienated parties with the goal of reconciliation and wholeness. Peacemaking is lovingly and perseveringly reaching out to alienated parties with the goal of reconciliation and wholeness. So notice, it begins with love for other people. It perseveres in that love. It reaches out to people and groups that are alienated with each other. And, and the goal is reconciliation and wholeness. That means not just interpersonal relationships. It also means systems and structures and institutions, socially, culturally, and politically. Simon the Zealot would have recognized that. So let's put a couple of footnotes on this definition while we're at it. First, um, reconciliation requires two people. In other words, this means that um, your peacemaking efforts, people can resist that. It's not all up to you. It requires two people. But secondly, peacemaking involves naming actual wrongs. It's not just pettifogging over insignificant details. It means naming real injustice. So for instance, Esau Macaulay is a theologian, author, and priest in the Anglican Church. He just came out with a wonderful new book called Reading While Black, it's all about biblical interpretation. Um, in a chapter on political uh, engagement, Christian political engagement, Esau Macaulay says this about peacemaking. He says, Peacemaking cannot be separated from truth-telling. The church's witness does not involve simply denouncing the excesses of both sides and making moral equivalencies. It involves calling injustice by its name. If the church is going to be on the side of peace in the United States, then there has to be an honest accounting of what this country has done and continues to do to black and brown people. Friends, maybe one of the simplest ways to understand what it means to be a peacemaker is this. It means being a bridge. If you think about it, a bridge connects things that are separated from each other. A bridge um, reaches out to both sides in order to create a way for them to come together. A bridge connects things that are disconnected. And if we continue the metaphor, then you realize that uh, one of the ways a bridge does that is, is it has to endure a lot of weight. It has to endure a lot of stress. You know, bridges get walked on. <laughs> bridges get trampled on. And that's what it means to be a peacemaker. And that leads to our next point. We've just seen what do peacemakers do. But secondly, we need to see what do peacemakers need. Because if you think about this, you realize that a lot of times to be a peacemaker is going to involve actually engaging in conflict. It's going to mean disturbing a fake peace for the sake of real peace. So what do we need in order to do that? Well, lots of things. But we only have time for a couple uh, so let me mention them. First, we need a greater commitment to peace than to a party. 
We need a greater commitment to peace, not fake peace, but real peace, a greater commitment to peace than to a party. Now, I don't just mean a political party. Uh, I mean any special interest group that you might align yourself with that could be in a family or an organization or in a community. Peacemakers need a greater commitment to peace than to a party. In other words, bridges need a greater commitment to being a bridge than to one side or the other. So um, as we think about that, you realize that, like I just said, um, this means more than politics, but it doesn't mean less than politics. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't like talking about politics in public, but we've been in a series on the Beatitudes, and over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at how the Beatitudes help us to think politically. Now, I don't really want to talk about this. I, um, I hate conflict. I tend to be more of a peace faker. I tend to be somebody that, uh, you know, I tend to make an idol out of approval. I would really, really rather not talk about politics. But to avoid talking about politics is peace faking. That gospel applies to every single area of life and our world. To withhold the gospel from the public square, if we do that, something else is going to take its place. Some other idolatry, some other ideology is going to take its place. So Jesus calls his disciples to, to follow him into the world to engage the most serious issues of our world as peacemakers. That means that, that we have to have the ability to have substantive conversations about the most serious issues where there is serious, significant disagreement and to be able to do so without demonizing people who disagree with you, even without disagreeing, uh, demonizing people who are dead wrong. So that means, for instance, if you lean uh, right politically, that you don't paint everybody on the left as a God-hating communist. Or if you lean left politically, it means you don't paint everybody on the right as a racist bigot. So let me just re-articulate something I've been saying the past couple of weeks, but I want to say it again to be as clear as I possibly can. There are many pastors and Christian leaders right now who will tell you that if you are a, quote, real Christian, then you must vote a certain way, and they will tell you what that way is. I will not do that. And the main reason I can't do that is because if I was to do that, then I would essentially be telling you that our unity as Christians depends on something other than Jesus Christ. And I won't do that. We need a greater commitment to peace, and especially the Prince of Peace, than we have to a party. So as a Christian, as you come to vote, that means you are going to have to study, you are going to have to pray, you're going to have to pray some more, and then you're going to have to vote your conscience, recognizing that no political party or platform can embrace the totality of everything that God cares about. You're going to have to sacrifice something. And that means that it's possible your Christian conscience might lead you not to vote at all. But if we have a greater commitment to peace than to party, then as a church, we're going to include all kinds of diversity here, and that's going to include political diversity. By the way, remember that Jesus had political opponents among his disciples. So first... We need a greater commitment to peace than to party. But secondly, in order to be a peacemaker, you need a deeper sense of self. Now, here's what I mean. Let us go back to that image of the bridge. In in order to be a bridge, a bridge needs to to be committed and connected to both sides. And all the while, it's going to endure a lot of weight, a lot of stress. That means, you know, trucks roll over bridges, trains roll over bridges. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of stress. 
So for instance, if you've ever tried to mediate between people or parties that are fighting with each other, that's a lot of weight and stress to bear. It's really stressful. It's even harder if you're personally connected to one or more of the people or parties involved. Bridges not only have to stay connected to both sides, but they bear a lot of weight. That means that a bridge can't just say, whoa, 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 this is too stressful. I'm out of here. Peace out. That's peace faking. But a bridge also can't say, you know what? I think this side over here, they're the wrong ones, and I'm just going to join up with this side, and we're going to take them out. That's peace breaking. A bridge can't do either of those things. In order to be a bridge, a bridge has to stay connected to both sides while remaining unique from both sides. That's what I mean by a deeper sense of self. The technical uh, phrase for this is something called differentiation of self. You uh, psychologists and counselors out there know what this is. Differentiation of self means that, that you have the ability to stay connected to people without getting lost in people, and that you also have the ability to distinguish yourself from people without separating from people. You're able to stay connected without getting absorbed into other people, but you're also able to distinguish yourself without separating yourself. That's what that means. So for instance, one of the most powerful books on Christian spiritual formation I've ever read, I've gone through it uh, either by myself or with other people at least a half a dozen times. It's called The Leader's Journey. And don't be fooled by the title. It's not just for people with official titles of leadership. It's for everyone. But here's one of the definitions they offer for differentiation of self. They say, differentiation is the ability to remain connected in relationship to significant people in our lives and yet not have our reactions and behavior determined by them. Let me read that one more time. Differentiation is the ability to remain connected in relationship to significant people in our lives and yet not have our reactions and behavior determined by them. So that means that when you're in the midst of, of peacemaking, uh, you're going to have to really be able to endure the weight and the stress of those relationships. There are going to be times when it's going to be really stressful. You're going to feel the weight. You're going to feel the anxiety. You're going to feel the pressure of that. And yet you're going to have to be able to stay connected to both sides and bear the weight of everything that is coming down on you in order to be a bridge between those two people. In fact, if I could just sum everything we've been talking up this morning so far into one main statement for you, here's how I would put it. Peacemakers bridge the division by bearing the weight of what's tearing us apart. Peacemakers bridge the division by bearing the weight of what's tearing us apart. The only way you can do that is if you have a greater commitment to peace and a deeper sense of self. And that leads to our last point. We've seen what do peacemakers do? They lovingly, perseveringly reach out to alienated parties with the goal of reconciliation and wholeness. What do peacemakers need? Peacemakers need a greater commitment to peace, a deeper sense of self. But lastly, how do we get that? How do we get that? Well, here's how. If you've been with us, you uh, will know that uh, each week we've seen that every single one of the Beatitudes comes with a promise. So for instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. Every Beatitude has its own promise. What's the promise in this Beatitude? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? For they will be called children of God. Children of God. Do you know what that is? 
children of God is an identity that can never be taken away from you. To be called children of God is to have a security of self, a rootedness of self that is unshakable and that uh, endures no matter what happens to you because not only does it not depend on other people, it doesn't depend on you either. Because what is the source of that identity? The, the source of an identity like this is not in you. It's not in your actions. It's not in your moral performance, your religious performance. It's not in your achievements. It's not in your virtue. It's not in your commitment to justice or peace or any other cause. The source of this identity is not in you. It's in God. Because notice what Jesus says. It says that they will be called children of God. They will be called children of God. This identity is the only identity in the world that can never be taken away from you because it doesn't begin with you. It's bestowed on you by God. You, you know, our world, especially our modern Western world, revolves around the idea that your identity is something that originates in you. That means that we have to look inside ourselves, listen to your heart, listen to your feelings. You have to discover your authentic self, and then you have to express that self to the world around you. Friends, that is a radically insecure and fragile self because it is entirely based on your performance and your feelings. So that whenever somebody criticizes you or attacks you, your sense of self is threatened, your identity is threatened, and you will criticize or attack back. That's going to make being a peacemaker really hard. But Jesus offers you an identity that doesn't depend on your performance, doesn't depend on how you feel about yourself, because it depends on his performance and how he feels about you. Because Jesus Christ is the true one and only Son of God. When he began his public ministry, one of the first things that happened is he was baptized by John the Baptist. And Matthew 3.17 tells us that when Jesus came up out of the water, the voice of God the Father came out of heaven and, and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Imagine that. Jesus comes up out of the water and, and God's voice comes out of heaven for everyone to hear and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine what that would have felt like to experience that kind of security, that kind of love, to have that kind of identity? Jesus had the ultimate identity. He has the ultimate sense of self. And yet when he came to earth and became a human being, you know what Jesus was doing? He was connecting with us by becoming one of us. And yet he never lost his connection with God the Father. Jesus is the ultimate bridge. And yet on the cross, he was torn apart so that we could be reconnected to God. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In essence, Jesus, um, Jesus was called not my son so that you and I could be called children of the living God. Jesus lost his identity so that he could give it to you, so that he could bestow it upon you. Friends, the cross is the ultimate peacemaking. It's not peace-faking because the cross names the reality that you and I are in deep rebellion against God and that we are in desperate need of rescue. The cross doesn't sweep that under the rug, but the cross is also not peace-breaking. Because the wrath of God for our rebellion, it doesn't come down on us and crush us. The, the full weight of God's wrath came down on Jesus, the ultimate bridge, so that you and I could be reconciled to God and made whole. 
When you receive an identity like that, you know what that does for you? It means that you're able to go out into the world and begin to point others to the very same thing that's already been done for you. What, what would lo that look like? One of the most powerful examples of this that uh, I've uh, been thinking about this week comes from the civil rights movement. You know, during the movement, there was a series of sit-ins at lunch counters throughout the South. One of the most violent of those encounters occurred in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, blacks in those days, in the early 60s, were not allowed to sit at lunch counters. But rather than preserving a fake peace, a number of local black students uh, went to the local Woolworths and they sat down at a lunch counter. Pretty soon, a, a large mob of angry white people gathered all around them. There's pictures and videos of this uh, that you can watch online. Now, now, the students were there to create peace. Their presence there was for the purpose of being a bridge. They wanted to connect people, but because they were there, because they were a bridge, pretty soon the weight of being a bridge began to come down on them. They had salt and ketchup and vinegar poured out on them. It went on from there. They had um, taunts and curses and racial epithets poured out on them. And, and then it went on from there where some of them were yanked off their stools thrown to the ground, beaten and kicked until they were un unconscious. They were genuinely afraid that they were going to make it out of there alive. What would you do if that happened to you? Would you run away? Would you fight back? They did neither. Their presence there was naming actual wrongs, actual injustices, but, but because they were a bridge, that means that, that they, uh, they bore the weight, they absorbed the wrath of what it take, takes to make peace. And, and eventually, their actions led to the desegregation of the lunch counters. What they did was able to achieve a measure of real peace, real wholeness. Friends, peacemakers bridge the division by bearing the weight of what's tearing us apart. The more secure your identity is in Christ, then the greater your commitment to peace will be and the better you will be able to bear the weight, to bear the wrath of what it takes to create real peace in the world. Do you want to be a peacemaker? Look at Jesus. Receive the identity that he achieved for you on the cross. Receive the peace that he accomplished for you with God the Father and then go forth to be a vessel of that very same peace to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for sending Jesus Christ, your eternal Son, into this world to be the ultimate bridge to connect to us while staying connected to you, but ultimately to suffer the loss of connection to you, to bear the weight of everything it required to make peace on himself so that we could be reconciled to God. Father, we praise you and thank you for that. And we pray this morning that the more the security of self that that gives us comes into our lives, the more that would enable us to have a greater commitment to peace over party and that we would better be able to be the bridges, to be the peacemakers that you've called us to be. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.